You are listening to Invisible Not Broken, a podcast where we talk about life with chronic illness and everything that goes with it. For your chronic life enjoyment, we prescribe candid interviews featuring spoony community leaders and compassionate medical and wellness practitioners. Warning, side effects may include smiling, crying, laughing, and other intense emotions. I'm Eva Minkoff, your co-host, fibromyalgia warrior, and founder of Wellacopia, the matching site that helps you find your ideal practitioners for your individual needs. Today's episode is about how we use creativity as a practice to become resilient. Meet Jenny Grover, aka The Chronic Babe. Jenny is a celebrated speaker and advocate for the chronic illness community and particularly known for having created the Chronic Babe community. Since founding chronicbabe.com in 2005, Jenny has taught countless people how to take charge of their lives post-diagnosis through her hundreds of videos, seriously useful and enjoyable content, you can find them on YouTube, as well as through Chronic Babe membership programs, speeches worldwide, and her book, Chronic Babe 101, How to Craft an Incredible Life Beyond Illness, which is basically the textbook for loving your life no matter how sick you are. Love it. It's now been 14 years since starting The Chronic Babe, and Jenny Grover is ready to take on a new project, a new direction within her life's work to support this community. And today she talks candidly about her fears around starting something new, how to define creativity in daily life, and how to use it as a practice or even form of treatment in order to become resilient in the face of chronic illness. Jenny is sweet, smart, and silly as hell. It's a good one, guys. Now we start the recording jumping in somewhat mid-conversation, so I apologize for that, but get ready. This is an episode that's sure to make you think outside the box. It's a it's a very, very emotional time for me yeah. in the house. Transition <laughs> is. Transition really is. And uh but it's really brave to know when it is time also. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I I've been feeling it for a while, but I didn't know how to talk about it. And I didn't, I've literally never been in a position where I could rest between gigs. Like, you know, I graduated high school. I went right into college. I had a double major. I started working in college and then I worked right out of college in my career. And I've gone from each thing like very sequentially. And for many of the years I did chronic babe, I was divorced and I didn't have great health care. And it was really expensive and we were in a recession and like things were really, really um, super challenging. And so when I wanted to pivot and try something new, I haven't ever had um, like a safety net. You know, I never, that was not something I had. I usually was living like client check to client check, you know, and having these, especially that there were a few years in there, like 2007 to 2000. No, no, no. 2011, 2012, like those years for healthcare for me were really, really tough because Obamacare didn't exist and I wasn't, I didn't have an employer. So I was buying into a state healthcare plan and my out of pocket for one year was $18,000, which is actually not that much compared to some people. But, you know, when you think about being a freelance writer, you're not exactly raking in the big bucks. And then to have that massive expense. It was just, it was really challenging. And so this is the first time in my life 
literally ever that I have, you know, I'm married again, we're knocking wood, <laughs> we're good, we have what we need. Um, and I can take a few months here and kind of like reconfigure what I'm doing and figure out what's going to work best for my health and for my joy. <laughs> yeah. So it's really exciting. It's really super weird because I'm used to working like hustle every minute of the day. And so I'm having a hard time relaxing and not, you know, go, like, where's the next deadline? Like, what do I got to get to? What's the thing? You know? <laughs> so, and then interesting transition time. Yeah. And in that you are still embodying a leader. Thanks. I am definitely trying. I mean, I, you know, I care so much about our chronic illness community, people, of, you know, my work has spread to people of all genders um, and all age groups. I have chronic babes who write to me who are like 80 and I'm just like, yeah, you do it. Um, but yeah, trying to shift my work into this realm that I'm calling creative resilience, which is an idea that I have about how we use creativity as a practice um, to build our own resilience, our strength um, in the face of obstacles. So it's actually a supernatural, I should, it's supernatural is what I'm saying. I am, <laughs> I have powers. No, um, <laughs> it's, it's a very natural outgrowth of my work because all the work I've done in Chronic Babe has been about teaching people um, resiliency and self-sufficiency and teaching them how to be strong in the face of these really immense challenges and teaching them how to get creative about building workarounds and resource lists and all those things that we rely on when we have chronic illness, you know? Um, so teaching people, like the idea of creative resilience is one about how we look at creativity. So creativity is not necessarily just a thing that we make. Like a lot of people say, I'm not creative because I don't know how to draw. And they're just, they're like, and so I'm not creative. That's it. Um, and I believe that's not true at all. Human beings are inherently creative. We're born with the ability to make things and collaborate with people and problem solve. Like we are literally born with those capabilities. Even if those first things we make are just duties in the diaper, still making stuff. <laughs> but you know, even like itty bitty kids, like they put things together and they, you know, so we have this innate skill. And so teaching people how to tap into that skill is a really big um, goal of mine. And then teaching people to think about creativity as a practice or as a process. Not, so not so much about the finished product, like the finished product is great, but like, like this quilt over my shoulder, the finished product is going to be real stunner. But like, heck, this has been a wild ride for like, quilt, it's such a wild ride. It's not like such a weird <laughs> grandma. Um, thing. I'm doing a sew along and I'm learning all these new skills and there's like 600 people participating across like all continents and it's like a whole thing. Um, but the process of that is really challenging and the process is teaching me a lot more lessons than the finished quilt ever will. So trying to instill in people that they can seek out creative processes, they can create their own rituals that really serve them. And then, you know, combining that with resilience, teaching people how to become more pliable, more open-minded, more creative, more flexible and nimble. Um, so it's a really interesting project for me. It's, to me, it feels like a very natural outgrowth of Chronic Babe. Um, where I feel like I was doing that already, but I would like to expand my audience now to include not just chronic babes, but like all humans who need to learn resilience. Because I think that my work can reach a much broader audience and I 
um, am excited to kind of see where that can go. I agree fully that creating, just the natural act of creating something new empowers humans in general. And people really don't get what create, uh, creative means. It's, it's mm -hmm. odd. Um, so, I mean, I, I have some creative bones in my body in the typical way, not nearly as much as my mom and my sister who are like professional writers and artists. Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I have a startup. That was something I created. That is a baby. That is a baby that you have gestated for a long time. <laughs> that is indeed my baby. Um, yeah. I mean, I think even basic practices that we do day to day can be creative. Like you like to, we were talking before, like you like to wear makeup. That's a creative process. Like the, the act of sitting down and painting your face. I mean, when I put makeup on, I feel... Oh, I love it. It's a, it's a very creative process for me because I'm like, oh, what color eyeshadow am I going to wear or or whatever and it's fun and it's you know it's just about I think you know and like so friends will tease me because they're like you have so much nail polish in your bathroom you have so much makeup on your countertop and I'm like I like options like I want to have a painter's palette of all the options possible so I'm you know I'm very lucky I can do that and so why not and I also and you know, creative resilience is like all about bringing other people in too. So like you bet like everybody comes over and with their kids and they paint their nails in my house. Nice. You know? Or like a friend of mine was over the other day, I was teaching them a little bit of quilting and they were like, can I peek in your fabric stash? Like that curtain right there is hiding my fabric stash. It's just a bookshelf of all different colors of fabric. Your stash is uh, dangerous. The stash, I know. It sounds like I'm running some kind of illicit business out of my studio I promise I want to come over and paint my nails and learn how to quilt that actually sounds really fun <laughs> uh, that would be amazing I'd love to have people come over and do that so. I am coming to Chicago actually in a month or so <laughs> so that's oh, yeah? possible okay yeah, maybe Let before the snow hits we'll see oh god yeah no <laughs> you I'm ready I'm not ready the tundra mm -hmm. good times I'm not ready uh, <laughs> I, I really agree. In fact, uh, I'm sticking to this as best as I can, but the first half of my day, like before noon, I mark as time to create. Like I don't have meetings in the mornings as much as possible. I really try to utilize that time as, okay, well, I'm the most awake. I'm the most energized and ready to make things happen. So what can I create today in my business? Um, and what can benefit uh, the people that I'm creating for. Uh, so yeah, sometimes urgency gets the better of me, but. Yeah, I mean, like I'm working on a client project today. I've got a bunch, I've got four big magazine profiles to write in the next week, which is a lot. Um, and it's a definitely a deadline and I'm working, I'm hustling on it. But at the same time, like I took breaks in between to go quilt a project that I'm working on in the dining room. Um, because I don't feel good if I'm not making something in the morning. So, but I like what you're saying, like having a ritual of like, I stick to this time, you know, for me, I think prioritizing creativity and nurturing that creative spirit is super important. And, you know, people might want to follow your lead and designate creation time or creative time, but they might decide in the moment that like that time is better spent meditating or that time is better spent taking a walk so they can think about stuff. Like it's, I always try to remind people, it's not just about making a thing. It's also about flexing our brain to think strategically about things. Um, yeah, in, in a way, expression. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's funny. I think it's like funny timing that I dyed my hair pink a couple months ago because I feel like it was like, it was like a moment when I thought, I really want to change some stuff up, but I don't know what to do. And then I, we were at, um, we were at the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo, otherwise known as Cake, um, which is where I find all my weird zines every year, just like weird stuff. And every, it felt like every person there, I felt, not every person, but I saw so many people with like hot pink hair and a neon mohawk and like crazy face piercings. And, you know, I was like, screw it, I'm dying my hair pink. <laughs> I texted a bunch of my friends. I was like, I'm dying my hair pink. And they were like, that's a bad idea. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing it anyway. Um, <laughs> But I feel like that's that kind of expression. Like it's been, this has been kind of a release for me because I don't know. It's like, well, for years in my career, I tried to look like what people expected a professional to look like. And I've, I've, I approached it in a really old school way. And a couple of years ago, I was like, why am I doing that? Why am I forcing myself to wear a suit? Like, what's up with that? That's not me at all. Um, a lot of the times people, the reason people are drawn to my work is because it's different from what has been out there before. Mm -hmm. So why hide that? So I'm like, dye my hair pink. So <laughs> expression, you know, coming back to the idea of expression and how we, exp and, and expression is so much about sharing our voice and also connecting with other people. That's the thing I've always taught in Crime Fave is how the importance of connection with other people. Um, so feeling like you can get vulnerable or be weird or whatever with other people is like so liberating um, and so empowering. I'm wondering if it's uh, related or a coincidence maybe given trends right now, but I have noticed, I think I've noticed more people with chronic illnesses uh, okay. have dyed hair than, I mean like, you know, <laughs> than, yeah those who don't have chronic illnesses or I'm just going based on all the groups I'm part of and people I talk to yeah. I feel like I see it all the time and yeah. my thought is it's not a coincidence it's another part of extending the identity and expressing themselves in a way yeah that they might not be able to otherwise because of something to do with their illness mm -hmm. um, I've dyed my hair a number of times when I was younger but it was always natural looking colors I'm yeah weird I'm so weird as a person and yet nothing about my style is weird in the slightest very conservative it actually bothers me I had a nose piercing for uh -huh. three months and like you know a little nub diamond yeah. thing and everyone said the same thing it looks good but it's not you and oh that's weird yeah and the sad thing was I agreed yeah <laughs> Oh, but you know what? I don't think that's sad. It's like you tried something and it didn't fit you exactly. So like you could have been stubborn about it and been like, well, no, I'm going to have it forever. Yeah. Like quietly resentful of it, you know? But My it's kind of it's kind of weird, the idea that people are like, it's not you because like who knows you better than you? Yeah. So when I tell people this story, usually they're like, screw them, do what you want. And I, and I go, yeah. yeah, but I agree. It didn't, it didn't sit well. Yeah. And at the same, and I mean, this is, it's so funny. We're talking about like a little hole in my nose, right? <laughs> uh, but my favorite clothing style, I guess, is actually grunge or oh. 90s heroin chic or whatever you want to call it. I love, <laughs> love, love like black jeans and black leather and like a white t-shirt with like a flannel over it. Do you wear flannels a lot? No. That was my 90s grunge scene was I wore a lot of flannel. 
I do like flannel. It's more so the leather thing and like soft sort of outgrown things and leather and studs. Not the crazy I'll kill you studs, but (laughs) like the, you know, metal thing. Um, I love black and metal. And it's so doesn't go with my personality. Also, it frankly doesn't go with my shape. And again, this is my decision, right? I have a, I'm yeah. very curvy. So these clothes really fit on what's known as a clothes horse, you know, someone who's sure. lanky and long of which I yeah. am. Um, and again, people will say, well, wear what you want to wear. But it's sad that the style that I like, or even other yeah. wackier styles with bright colors that I like, they just don't, they don't, I don't know, they don't work. You can like something yeah. that not want to wear it yeah well yeah you can admire something in other people and not want to adopt it for yourself um I mean I think it takes a lot of emotional work to do what you're talking about to actually try to get in touch with well what is it that I actually like you know because I have a lot of like I'm a little bit of a hippie I have a lot of friends who are you know and lots of my girlfriends they were like flowing tank tops and stuff and it's like I have real big bazoombas you know and flowy it's hard to find a good flowy loose and tank top for me it's just like everything looks like work you know um (laughs) it's not like work (laughs) (laughs) just looks like i'm working super hard to wear that tank top it's a struggle and so it's like well that's not for me like i think it looks great on some of my friends but it's not for me and you know for a long time i felt that way about people with like super dyed hair i really wanted it we were so i'm naturally blonde um, and my red hair for years was not, I mean, that's not natural. <laughs> that was also straight out of the bottle. Um, but I used to admire people who had like really out there looks, but I, I never felt like I could pull it off. And then suddenly I just feel like I can, and I don't, something changed. And I've, you know, I've, I've known other women in their forties who've told me like in your forties, like things start to change, you gain more confidence. And, you know, I always was like, whatever, I got plenty of confidence right now. And then I'm like, no, I actually totally get it. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I just, I, f- I feel like it is hard for us to get in touch with what we actually like. And th- in some ways it's like, we're bombarded with so many choices and options. Like we look at social media, we see every kind of clothing style, every kind of home decor style. And so it's almost overwhelming, like to pick, well, what, what is it that I actually like? So I think a lot of us, like, we tend to default to the stuff that our, we saw our parents liking or that people that are in our peer groups like. Um, and I definitely did that for a long time. And now I'm like, nope, not doing that anymore. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I definitely think I, I, I talked about this in another podcast, too. Uh, the concept of identity uh, in general is quite... Uh, well, quite a concept, quite a uh, rabbit hole, uh, but especially with chronic illness, because I, it's like, first of all, identifying as someone with a chronic illness or not, and then also shaping your identity around someone who has a chronic illness. Like, even if you know I am a sick person, but um, this is how I identify, and I have to incorporate being sick into that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a challenge. I mean, and me thinking about changing my work, you know, like the chronic babe resources I created, they will, I don't have a plan to remove them from the internet. And I certainly am not going to unpublish my book. I have a print book and it's out there and people still buy it. I love that. I'm not going to get rid of any of that stuff, but I am going to stop actively adding new work to chronic babe. And that feels really weird. And I definitely had a few crying sessions with my 
business coach because I was like, who am I if I'm not chronic babe? And she's like, well, you're Jenny. <laughs> and one of the things you Jenny is, is a chronic babe. But Jenny is also a teacher and a leader and a volunteer and a wife and a sister and like all these other things. So it's like, and, and I think with chronic illness, where I see a lot of people trip up and really fall down that rabbit hole, but in a bad way, is when they identify so closely with their diagnosis that they can't see outside of it. And so what happens is you get isolated. You're only hanging out with people that have your same illness or diagnosis. And so all you see is disease. And you're, you don't get opportunities for like cross-pollination. So I've been really lucky in my work because I never specified chronic pain wasn't about fibromyalgia or asthma or anxiety or depression or whatever. It was about chronic health issues. And so I've made friends across all these different disease states. And it's been amazing because I learned so much from them. And that cross-pollination is really important. But I think sometimes people self-identify so much. One, they're just constantly thinking about it, which is a huge bummer. Yeah. <laughs> and and two, they're not they're not getting a lot of outside influence, you know. And then like other parts of their community start to fade away. Like maybe church becomes less important, or they're spending less time with their family, or you know, it's it, it can become a really big. Ch I've seen a lot of people do it, and their life becomes 100% about suffering. And you know, I'm a I'm a Buddhist. I mean, I'm actually wearing a T-shirt today that has the word Buddha on it. So if I know, it's, I love it. I am such a Buddhist today, but um, you know, I. I, one of the things that we know from Buddhism and every human being knows this is that like life includes suffering and everyone experiences suffering of some kind or many kinds or whatever, but we can choose not to like steep ourselves in it. Like I don't want to be the cold tea bag in the lukewarm water that's been steeping in misery like all friggin' day. Do you know what I mean? Like I would like to take that tea bag, I wish I had a cup of tea here, and like dip it for a couple of minutes and then be like, okay, now I'm gonna drink my tea and do something else. Like I get, you know, it's, it's, I definitely don't want people to deny the reality of their health stuff, but I think that we can accept and acknowledge our reality of having health issues. And then we can also, um, also live a much broader life a life of the mind, a life physically, outdoors, whatever we can do, we can live a lot beyond our illness. And I think that I've always tried to teach that with Chronic Babe. Um, and I've always tried to live that in my own life. Because, I, you know, when I first got sick, I was 20, I was 25. Like, you don't really know that much when you're 25. <laughs> I mean, I was a pretty smart 25 year old, but there was a lot of shit I did not know. And I made a lot of mistakes and I'm, you know, and I, you just don't, but I, mean, I felt like my life was literally over. And I actually thought I was dying because I was losing all this weight and the doctors couldn't find any reason why I was way underweight. I was really unhealthy. And I, you know, people were, were saying, you look great. And I'd be like, thanks. But in my head, I was like, I'm definitely dying. And we don't know why. And that was really, really scary. And so I, that saps you of your identity. Then your identity becomes all about taking care of yourself and fighting this big battle. Um, and I'm so thankful that I could, was able to move through that and recognize that that's not a headspace where I want to live. Well, I definitely have learned that in your in very low lows, if you have hot pink hair, you still feel like you look cute. So that's a real <laughs> bonus. <laughs> this is why I think I see it so often. Yeah, I think so too. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I, you know, I grew up in a household. I grew up in a family filled with abuse and addiction and a lot of challenges. I um, sued my mom for emancipation when I was 11 um, and won the case when I was 13. I have experienced a lot of hardship growing up. I had a bunch of, I had viral meningitis. I was, so I was unconscious for many days in the hospital with that, almost died. You know, I've had, I've had health issues and I've lived in a very destructive, you know, family situation for, for my whole childhood. And so when I was looking at like going away to college and creating my own life, I was basically like, let me get the farthest away I can from anyone. And, you know, let me create a career for myself that I know that I can do with love for the rest of my life, which was becoming a professional writer. Um, and I honestly think that there's some weirdness in my brain because I'm very different. And so I, it's really interesting we're talking about this because I've been thinking a lot about identity and like, well, how that, you know, how we come to be who we are. And, you know, I've always felt really um, awkward and kind of like a black sheep. Um, and I think partly in my family, I felt it because I was so different from my family, but also like in school, I always felt like I didn't quite fit in. Like I was punk rock, but not quite punk rock enough. You know, like I didn't have a safety pin through my ear, but I definitely had a, a you know, leather mini skirt. Like I, like there was like, I was close, but no, you know, or, and then I was like a nerd, I was on the honor society, but I wasn't a perfect straight A student or, you know what I mean? I was always, and I always felt self-conscious about it. Like what group do I belong to? Like, and we're that age, when we're that age, we want to group ourselves mm -hmm. um, for like a sense of security. And I never really felt like I found like group. And I only understand now as I'm older that like the ability to move between a lot of those groups and develop real relationships within them is like a real blessing. Like some, I got that by accident and that's a magical thing because I can show up in almost any group of people and make a friend, which I know a lot of people can't do. So um, I will also overshare and tell them way too much about myself, which is the thing I've been working on. So, you know, I, I'm like, they're my friend and they're like, she's psychotic. She can't <laughs> stop talking about her, what I, you know. Um, but, you know, so I've been thinking a lot about that because I feel like our, you know, our, our the early days of our childhood are so formative um you know they they have such an impact on who we are later but also we have choice so you know as I got older it's like I had choices about who I was going to associate with and who I was going to be friends with and I had choices when confronted with this chronic illness crap you know a few years into it I was a writer I am a writer and I was like I can make this resource that isn't out there because I really wish for it, and I know other people are wishing for it. So, like, we can make those choices. But I do think that growing up in a very kind of fractured, crazy family with all kinds of stuff um, helped shape me into a very resilient person, into a person who could pretty much face just about anything and bounce back. And that's been um, a skill. I don't know if we call it a skill or a trait but I've been nurturing it ever since because I just know that like, and, and I think because I bounced back from some, like literally like facing death multiple times as a teenager, bouncing back from that, you know, I, being able to do that has, whenever I start to doubt myself, I just think back on like, hey, wait a second, like you did all that stuff, you know? Um, 
But I think those things really shape us into the kind of person. So just like you who creates something that you see a need and you're like, I, I see this unmet need. I'm, I'm going to step in and create it. And I think that not everyone does that. Not everyone has to do it, but, um, you know, when I look back on the history of my life so far, there've been lots of moments where I had to create, um, the thing that I needed for myself, like the thing wasn't there for me. Um, you know, one thing my coach said, she said, you know, you really help the tagline on, on my book is like, uh, you know, um, uh, how to craft an incredible life beyond illness. Yeah. And I was talking with my coach about it the other day and she said, you know, you've crafted, you've helped a lot of people craft incredible lives and your life was the first one. And I was like, Whoa, you're so good. <laughs> so, you know, we, we can cultivate our identity and when we surround ourselves by other people too, who kind of, it's almost like I want to be around people who reflect back the best parts of me. You know, like it's almost like I want them to hold up a mirror and I want to see the best part, like, because those are the parts I want to be the most of, you know. Um, so I think surrounding ourselves with people that are like that is really important too, which for some people with chronic illness is people in their specific community. Like, I know a lot of people in the chronic pain community and they are amazing people and they inspire me to just be a probably a really different person than I would have been had I not gotten sick. Um, but I also like to hang out with people who don't, first of all, if I hang out with people who don't have illness, they're much more reliable. And so <laughs> it's, it's sad, but true. Yeah. It's, you know? it's a different mindset, right? Yeah. It's, uh, okay. And with these people, I have to acknowledge the fact that they're, they're not, and that's okay. Yeah. And then other people, everyone has their own excuses, but you have different expectations. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and even just, I think, I think that part of community is super important for resilience. Just having, having that cross pollination, having different kinds of people in your life that believe in you or support you, or even just that influence you. So even if it's not even people that you know in person, but maybe you follow like, um, a couple of years ago, I made a real intentional move to follow a lot of body positive, um, people on Instagram. Cause that was really important for me to see myself represented in that medium that I love so much. Um, and, and their words and their actions and their videos and photos have helped me love myself so much more. Like I am working on weight loss for health reasons, but seeing those people in my feed every single day has helped me love myself a lot more and, and also teach other people how to love themselves, even if their body isn't what, you know, our culture deems as like healthy or whatever. I mean, it's, I am a very healthy person, even though I'm plus size. I just got my labs back um, <laughs> and I'm good. Like, so I, you know, but I, I think that we have to make an intentional effort to surround ourselves with all different kinds of people. And that just teaches us how to be stronger people. Our environment has so much more impact on uh, our well-being, well, our physical and emotional health. Uh, yeah and future health than a lot of people give credit to. Mm -hmm. uh, and I agree definitely with surrounding yourself with people that reflect what you want to embody, um, maybe what you wanna even strive for. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is obviously a touchy subject um, for others and, and possibly for you. I mean, even for myself, but I know definitely listeners are not all in the best relationships. Whether that be oh, yeah. or definitely spouses, uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, um, 
unfortunately, a lot of us, maybe it's because we haven't found real self-love yet. And I know self-love is a hard thing to define, but yeah, sure. We, we might be resilient through those relationships, but a part of resilience, in my opinion, is recognizing what you need and what you don't need and moving past that. So it's easier said than done, of course. And I respect everyone who is in a situation that they feel uncomfortable with or worse, um, but know that there is a way out uh, and that you have to find what that is, uh, but that there is, there is a way. And I know, I read a story today, I won't go into, and I want to get her on the podcast, but there is a girl um, with, uh, oh, it's going to bother me now. It's like CRPS. <laughs> oh, CRPS, Complex yeah, Regional Pain Syndrome. Exactly. Uh, I hope I can have her on the podcast. She has a story on her page. Um, I'm still processing it. Mm. Like, really, I'm still processing it. And I was, I'm proud of her, not even knowing her, because she got out of something that was, I mean, multiple things, but especially a marriage situation where she was destroyed. And she thought that was the norm. Uh, and it really got to me because if that's your context, right? We're talking about the people around us, our environment. That's your context yeah. of living. And she had no idea that that was wrong. Yeah. She started to have it confirmed that, oh, I'm not crazy. This is what's going on. It's not. Good. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that just is reality. So if you yeah. have an inkling of that being the case, chronic illness related or not, yeah, there is possibility out there. I really try and be um, optimistic without being, um, well, unrealistic. Uh, yeah, but it's, hard, <laughs> right. it's hard for people to see sometimes. Um, yeah. I don't know if that personally resonates with you. I know that you're divorced. That's oh, all. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely. I mean, so I want to respect my ex-husband. Um, and so I won't name him. I mean, it's easy to find him, but whatever, it doesn't matter. He's, you know, he's a really decent human being. He's very kind, um, and very creative and he was very loving in a lot of ways. And so it wasn't like I had this miserable marriage and he was, you know, there wasn't abuse. There wasn't like big drama or anything, but I was so unhappy. I was so unfulfilled in that relationship. And it was really hard to say, I'm going to get divorced, especially during a recession. Like we, I mean, I didn't have extra money to be thrown around, you know, I negotiated for a cheaper rent on an apartment I wanted. And I was lucky because there weren't that many new renters out because we were in a recession. Um, but leaving him and starting my life in a different way was super hard and very scary very scary. I was just like two weeks away from getting evicted from my apartment at one point because I didn't have money to pay rent or bills. I was selling all my belongings to pay for stuff. I was, I mean, you do everything you can to survive. And I, but I, when people ask me, well, like, well, how bad was your first marriage? I'm like, well, I mean, I did that. Like I left <laughs> at a moment that was really impossible. So it's not, um, you know, I don't, I, I, I definitely am not saying this to bash him. And I think that ultimately it was good for both of us that we split up. Um, but it was a really hard decision. And I'm, you know, I'm very lucky that I had state provided high risk pool insurance, even though it was extremely expensive. I was able to maintain my health care for most of the time. Um, but it's hard. And I think that it, 
when I talk to people about it, they'll say, well, chronic pain broke up your marriage. And it's like, well, no, that's not actually right. There were lots of different reasons that my marriage ended. Me having a bunch of chronic stuff is definitely a part of the puzzle. Um, you know, it was really tough on him and, and uh, yeah, but I, I just knew I wanted more. I knew I didn't want to feel alone inside of a relationship. Mm. And I knew that was really essential for me. And um, so I made that move. So, I mean, yeah. And I know a lot of people, you know, divorce rates are really high in our country um, and in North America and, and divorce rates among people with chronic pain and chronic illness are even higher um, because I really, it really is hard on a, on a relationship. But then I look at, my marriage today to Joe and it's like you know he is also divorced the first time so like when we met and we started hanging out and talking about our relationship we were so intentional about what we wanted and what we weren't able to you know tolerate and what we could give and so we were both like we had a lot of <laughs> we had a very lot a lot of very like mature conversations which I had not had before with a romantic partner where we talked about what we wanted and what our goals were going to be and how we were going to respect each other and all these other things and um you know it's just a totally different thing so you can create that for yourself it is very possible but it's not going to you know it's not necessarily going to be easy and it's not going to be without pain but it it is possible to make that kind of change and worth it more than worth mm -hmm. it Talk about an individual, like is the person that you live with and spend your life with. It really pretty important. So yeah, and it doesn't have to be that you were abused. Just that you, in order to leave, if it if you you said you felt alone in your in your struggle or yeah yeah yeah, I felt very. I mean, you know, he had a career and hobbies that he had a hobby that turned into a career and um he wasn't able to budge an inch and so it was like every minute of time we were together he was pursuing this hobby slash career and so i just i spent a lot of time you know and i would be i would be at home all day working by myself in my home office and then he would come home and go right into working on his hobby and i'd be like hi, I'm here. Like, I don't want to hang out with you. And that was tough. And I also, you know, in that time, I think because you, you know, when you surround yourself with people, like you're going to meet more of the same kinds of people a lot of the time, right? It's people who have the same values or the same social structure. And um, I wound up in a circle of friends who were really self-critical and really judgmental about other people. And it was also really, it was always like really uncomfortable for me, but I also just thought that was normal. Like that's what I'd grown up with. That seemed normal to me. I didn't realize that there were different ways of being. And honestly, like, I think that my path to studying Buddhism more intently, like really opened my eyes about a lot of things that I was doing, like behavior that I was tolerating in other people. And I was being a judgmental catty biatch too sometimes, you know? And like, that was not a good look on me. Like, that's not what I want my life to be. So, um, you know, before I got divorced, I got this tattoo. It says, peace is every step. Peace in every uh, step. That's yeah, cool. peace is every step. Yep. And it's, um, it's the name of a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, who is one of my favorite Buddhist teachers. And I feel like I tattooed the piece is every step on my arm because I needed this reminder that like I get a choice every single step I'm taking every day. 
Like I can actually choose peace. I don't actually have to choose drama or stress. I don't have to choose to be disrespected. Like I, I get to choose every single, and I literally was like, I need to see that on my arm every morning when I roll over and wake up. Like that's the first thing I need to see because we get choices. And a lot of times when we're in a shitty relationship or we're in a really hard spiral, you know, downward spiral with our chronic illness stuff or we're undiagnosed or you name it, it can feel like we don't have resources and it can feel like we don't have um, the, the ability to choose. It can feel like, um, what's that word? When people feel empowered, like they have agency. We don't feel like we have agency over our situation and that can be really challenging. And so for me, I needed to tattoo it on my arm so that it would sink in day, day after day after day. Like I get to choose to not be in this angry, sad, depressed situation. Like I get to actually choose to cultivate some peace in my heart. Um, so I got this tattoo and like six months to a year later, I separated from my first husband. Like I, but I needed that time to really let that idea sink in. Cause I didn't, I don't know, felt like I just couldn't make, I felt like I couldn't get out, felt like I wasn't able or worthy of making a choice like that. Um, I think when we grow up in really abusive, yucky situations, we tend to, you know, one defense mechanism is to like take care of everyone else, like make sure that everyone's okay. You know, I'm the oldest of three girls. Like I was, my job was the peacemaker, just like a lot of firstborn kids, their job is the peacemaker in the family. Like, yeah, so you know. So like you wind up kind of being like a people pleasing, you know, <clears throat> um, um, codependent kind of person. I'm saying that about myself and not about you. All good. So I'm trying, I've been working for years and years to get over the codependency because that is a drag. And I'm also trying to get over the people pleasing because that is a drag. And I think that, a lot of us, you know, when we're stuck in really hard situations, it's hard to see past that. So we have to keep people around us who lift us up, who show us that there's a different way of being. Like, I'm very proud that I've been able to be that person for a lot of other people. And you're that person for a lot of people. And there's so many great activists out there that are like modeling that your life can be different, you know? Um, it's hard. Over the years, I've encountered so many people in the Chronic Babe audience who are just like, miserable and stuck and I completely understand why like I was that way for many years like after I got diagnosed I was that way for a few years like miserable resentful hopeless just completely stuck but you can get out of it and I think that's the thing that I'm always trying to teach people is that you can get out of it and like it'll it'll feel you know I was talking with another quilter the other day and she was talking about grief and sewing and she was saying that like you know, when she's not sewing and she's in her grief, she's like falling backwards. But then when she's hand sewing, every stitch, she said, it feels like I'm moving forward. And so when I think about that, like we might have to take these tiny, tiny baby steps to move ourselves forward. Um, if we feel like we're stuck in crummy chronic illness space or relationship space or work or whatever it is. But every stitch, like every tiny, tiny incremental change brings us closer to the life that we want to lead. Um, so I always try to communicate that to people. It's hard though, when someone's been stuck in a place, like if they have chronic pain or other stuff and they've been, or depression and they've been stuck there for years and years and years, it can feel just impossible to see your way out of that. I'm sure you encounter people with that same, oh, yeah. same mindset too. Yeah. Possibly every day. I also recognize that while I can try to inspire or show them that there is that 
we're we're basically saying the the words possible and choice are synonymous, synonymous which I love. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you're not going to get through that wall. Like they they need to have that yeah. wall. They need to be behind it a little longer. Mm -hmm. uh, but every that is a step actually is listening to, it, even if it's not acting on it yet. I know that, and this even went for friends with breakups. Actually, me with a breakup when I was young. Yeah. I knew that. Friends said it enough that eventually it got to me and I realized they were right and I needed to do it on my own time. And I think it goes yeah, yeah. with maybe a certain health regimen. Um, uh, I, I mean, it goes with, <laughs> goes with so many things. You, you, you move when you're ready to hear it, but you should hear it. Right? Yeah. You should yeah. Hear it and then you decide what you want to do with it. Yeah. yeah. Having all these sort of flashes back to times where I didn't listen to things for a long time and they made such an impact. I actually think integrative medicine or, or holistic medicine is a big thing for a lot of people with um, chronic illnesses. First of all, because if you're not in an environment where that's encouraged, um, mm -hmm. and you're all seeing all these doctors who give you the, maybe it's the seven minute visit, very cold, very factual, right. saying it's all in your head, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it's probably really hard to see that there are other choices, other possibilities, but mm -hmm. And a lot of people wait until they don't have any other choice, which is... Oh my gosh, yeah. 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 And as, as I always say, I'm a proponent of both. I, am, I love standard care, Western medicine, and then I also believe in the integration of wellness care. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to say believe. It's a weird word, but... I think I know uh, what you mean, though. It's like you... Well, I think you do have to believe in it, actually. I mean, I almost really think you do, because like, so, you know, Western medicine doctors, they'll prescribe things or, or describe actions they want you to take partly or in whole because they want the placebo effect or the nocebo effect, you know? Like, I think that our, our belief about if something is going to work for us actually plays a big role in whether or not it does work for us. Oh, it's, it's you know? huge. I, uh, I have this conversation all the time. I think I have on the podcast too. Like, what is the placebo effect? And even my husband said this, the placebo effect is incredibly effective. It's usually, it's often more effective than the meds themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason for that. And it's not a fake out. People see the placebo effect in a negative light, which yeah. really is your perception change, which is what therapy is. And nobody's bashing, actually some people bash therapy, but some people bash it. <laughs> I don't understand that. But anyway, uh, uh, right. Perception change can change how you feel physically as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so, sh I mean, obviously based on all of these, all yeah, done on placebo and I don't know, it just bothers me because placebo is seen as fake. When right, it's right. just as real, it's yeah. just not through medication. Well, yeah, so like I did an intensive pain management um, pain camp basically for six weeks at the beginning of the year. Okay. Um, yeah, pain camp. So I wasn't inpatient, but I mean, I, they consider it inpatient because I would go for all day. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, during each day, I would see a clinical psychologist, a relaxation specialist, an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, a um, creativity expert, some, you know, folks that work with me on nutrition, like they brought in all these different, and I would see my pain doctor and we would talk about how my meds were working. Like it was everything worked together. I love um, that. And it's very holistic. Yeah, I love it too. I feel like I would, there were days where I would come home and I would cry because I was exhausted, but also because I was so grateful because it's such a gift to be able to go through that kind of program. Um, but I think that, 
I think that being part of that program and being surrounded by it and having people telling you all day how much different things interact with each other, you know, how your sleep affects your pain level or how um, your nutrition affects your mental wellness, like all these other, th the, everything is woven together is super important. Um, and that believing in ourselves is super duper important. So one, there was one day where um, I had been having pain. Part of why I went was I was having so much pain in my arm and my elbow. Like I couldn't lift up a dinner plate. I couldn't do a lot of basic stand, you know, healthcare things for myself. Just couldn't use this right arm a lot. And I'm right-handed. It was a big struggle. So that's part of why I went through pain camp. And one of the things that, um, you know, there was one day where I was in and I wasn't hurting that much. And one of the OT, PTs asked me like, so what's your pain at? And I'm like, well, I think it's at like a two, but honestly, like, I feel like it's probably a six, like it's probably in there and I'm just not recognizing it. And she was like, ho, 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 ho. If you're hurting and you're not recognizing it, that means you're not feeling the pain. That means you're not having the pain. Like it doesn't matter if it came from exercise or from, you know, a pill or a cream or whatever. If you are not feeling it, like your brain is what creates the pain. Like it's the way your signals you know, firing or misfiring in your brain that create chronic pain. Um, and she's like, you know, your brain is a very powerful mm -hmm. tool in fighting this. And if you don't feel it, if you don't recognize it in your brain, then you're not going to feel the pain. And that's, that's our goal. It doesn't matter how we get there, you know? Agreed. I mean, yeah, that's true. I do think, and I might have to check this later, that um, most of it's in our brain. Some of it's actually in our spinal cord and doesn't <laughs> register in our brain at all yeah. which is weird um yeah, no, that's I, actually say that I need to look that up again <laughs> yeah, no that's actually true I mean she was like oversimplifying but yeah no um, but generally speaking that is absolutely yeah. true absolutely. yeah yeah you're right though there is a lot that happens in our spinal cord that um that influences how we feel pain so I don't want to do this because uh I, I could talk to you forever, um, but, <laughs> Same. Um, but I was going to say, I like to end on sort of your own quote about what is the main message you want to give people, which I think has happened throughout this wonderful <laughs> episode. But uh, if there is one last thing, one like nugget of knowledge for people to walk away with, like a, like a mantra sort of thing. Well, actually, sure. Well, they can, yeah, they can take pieces every step with them and go read that book. You don't have to be a Buddhist to get a lot of that book. Um, <laughs> wow. I think the thing that I would want to remind people of is that, um, well, I don't have a good pithy, you know, mantra for it, but like one, you're not alone. There's people like you and me and other people out there who really care. Um, two, you have options. Uh, three, you are an inherently creative person, which means there are workarounds. Um, and, you know, I think that focus on identity is so key. Like if you can do nothing else after listening to this interview, if you hang out with yourself and think about who am I? Like, what do I love? What do I want? What do I want to create? Um, it's not impossible to pursue those things if you have chronic illness. It's, it's really, it's actually very, very possible. Um, and you don't have to do it alone, so.
Thank you. You are very quotable. <laughs> Thank you. I wish I had a good pithy, you know, like short. I'm I'm still creating this creative resilience business, so I don't have um, I don't quite have my elevator speech ready yet. <laughs> so. That's all good. Believe me, we'll we'll all send people to your website and yeah. them updated on what you are doing. But thank you. Thank you for creating a space of expression or well, expressing yourself, whether it be with a chronic illness or not through creativity and making it clear that everyone is creative, inherently creative, mm -hmm. as you said, mm -hmm. and can use that as a tool, almost, could I say, uh, almost as if it's a form of treatment. It should be mm -hmm. your treatment regimen is creating on. Uh, right. Yes, yes. I want everybody to put creativity into their daily regimen because even if you're just thinking about like how you're cooking your eggs today, you know, like, can you mix it up? Can you throw a different herb in there that you haven't tried before? Like you can get creative in every way. You don't have to paint a picture or do calligraphy. You can weave it in throughout all these different places in your day-to-day -day life and, and feel that sense of excitement again um, and, and pleasure and joy and possibility. And that's true even if you are not walking around. <laughs> That's true. You have a brain. <laughs> That's true. Creativity is possible. And I will, ha I will think about this as much as I can think about this next time, but I'm, uh, I'm imagining when I'm in a fog, like a really bad fibro fog, and it's kind of like being drunk without the happiness. That's how I did yeah. how I explain <laughs> it. And I can even be creative in that moment. And it might just be a new way of soothing myself. It's like, okay, I'm really oh, I have to deal with this situation. I don't, don't get to do maybe what I wanted to do, but I can still create a new environment for me to feel comfortable mm -hmm. or, or whatever else I want to feel. Yeah. Or like safe or secure or satisfied. Like I, I, I think making those choices, being really um, intentional and being really intentional about setting yourself up on the days that you're feeling well. So like on the day that you're feeling well might be the day you go around the house with a basket and grab like a bottle of cuticle oil and uh in your knitting and a chapstick and you know and a blankie and like all those things that are comforting and lovely and then like you put that basket by your couch and then days later when you're in a fog and you can't get anything done the basket's right there by your couch like your little self-care basket is waiting for you so like it, when you're feeling well, when you're feeling as well as possible, when you're feeling better, those are the days to like set yourself up for success. Like those are the days I build up Spotify playlists. You know, those, those are the days that, that I'm saving, clipping recipes that are super duper simple. Um, those are the days I'm researching grocery delivery services so I can try to get the best deal. Like that, you know, so then on those days when you feel really, really bad, you have you've done that creative work on another day when you had the creative headspace for it. And so then on the day you're feeling crap and you can't get off the couch. Like you, you're not, it's not a total shock to the system. You're not without resources. That's really great advice. I, I'm pretty sure you have a video tour on that too. <laughs> yeah, I do. I can't remember what the name of the video is. I have talked about it before. I have little baskets like that, or like in some cases a drawer in every room of my house. Oh, that's awesome. Like I have, yeah. I have one in my backpack. I have a little, little yeah. uh, that I bring around with me with some uh, 
just some little bits. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. What is that? A little jug. It's got a lip balm and it's got an essential oil roller. I can clean my glasses because they get dirty all the time. I have earplugs if people are noisy outside. Keep yeah. this on my desk. Mine oh. has some CBD oil. Um, Painkillers if I really need them. And I actually really, I try not to use them unless yeah. I really need them. Um, mm -hmm. What else? Yeah, I always have lip balm um, and some sort of moisturizer for when my skin, you know, with fibro, we have that burning feeling. Even if it does yeah. nothing and that's a placebo effect, I don't care. Right. Um, just touching yourself in a loving way that isn't about like, oh, it's more like, oh, like that in itself is a loving act that we can, you know, do for ourselves. It's like such a um, revelation in the face of pain and exhaustion, and, you know, irritated skin. The fact that you can take a moment and go, no, I love you. I love you, skin. Like that's amazing. <laughs> Try saying it next time. You'll be like, you'll start laughing and that's also good for your body. <laughs> Laughing, last piece of advice. Laugh yeah. as much as humanly possible. Always, always. <laughs> all right, well, that's also a good thing to leave everyone with. But uh, thanks again, Jenny. I love you. I love your pink oh, hair. Gosh. I love your spirit. Oh, I love you too. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Thank you. <laughs> all right, um, take it easy. I'll talk to you soon. Mwah. Mwah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Invisible Not Broken, where I interview leaders in the chronic illness community. I am Eva, your co-host and the founder of Wellacopia, which if you haven't heard me talk about it before, it's the site to find your ideal medical and wellness practitioners, ones that fit you, ones that are right for your illness, for your personality, for your preferences and approach to care, everything that you need to have that experience that you've been looking for for so long. So visit wellacopia.com if you're looking for a new practitioner, and I'm happy to help you out myself if you can't find one on Wellacopia just yet. Everyone have a fabulous rest of the day, and as always, be kind, be gentle, be badass.